Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for some scolding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Misutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Hello, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, coming at you on Tuesday morning. Hopefully all of you have had a chance to digest, sober up, find your bearings after what many are considering to be like one of the greatest regular season games of all time. Um, 33-30 win in overtime for the Vikings this past Sunday. Um, we broke it down at length in, in Sunday's episode, almost a play-by-play. Um, and man, there were enough plays to go around, certainly, in, in that game. <clears throat> but you look at what the Vikings were able to do from a macro perspective, right? We talked about the micro perspective and just how incredible that game was, winning in the fashion that they did, some of the incredible plays that kind of came to fruition in that game their ability to overcome adversity in that game all of those things on a micro level made for just an incredible win that I think Vikings fans are going to remember for the rest of their lives I think this is a game that will stick with people until they die because of how special it was and that's all from a micro perspective that's in one singular game as Kirk Cousins would say each game is its own entity From a micro perspective, this game was incredible. But now let's look at what the Vikings were able to accomplish on a macro perspective because of this game. As it currently stands, the Vikings are 8-1. They are among the best teams in the NFC, unquestionably. They are among the best teams in the NFL, unquestionably. And then when you look at what happened Monday night, to the Philadelphia Eagles at home at the link they drop the contest in a 32 to 21 loss to the Washington Commanders the commanders who we said last week they're a plucky team they're a team that the pushed the Vikings to the brink they're a team that Taylor Heineke has the entire squad believe in they're five and five now and they walked into Philadelphia on Monday night and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles 32 to 21. The Philadelphia Eagles are now eight and one. The Minnesota Vikings are now eight and one. And those two teams share the best record in the NFL. 
are they the best team in the NFL? I still think that crown goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are 7-2. and two. The Kansas City Chiefs kind of remind me of like the Golden State Warriors, if you follow the NBA. When they were when the Golden State Warriors were at the peak of their prime, they would just kind of screw around with teams throughout games, almost make things hard on themselves and see if they could dig themselves out of these holes. Um, it was like playing well for 60 minutes or for a full 48 minutes in the NBA is just boring because these teams are so good that they put themselves in these weird positions almost purposefully. I don't know if it's, it's obviously more of a subconscious thing, but that's what I look at the Kansas city chiefs. They could win every game, but they just come out sometimes lack of focus or get too cute. And then all of a sudden they're chasing and it's almost like how far can we get behind before we kind of turn on the jets and catch this team and win the game. So they have two losses, but any given week, the Kansas city chiefs are still the best team in the NFL to me largely because of Patrick Mahomes. Then you go down the rest of the list. I'm having a hard time now. Now that the Vikings have a signature win, which we talked about, micro perspective the other day, incredible win over the Buffalo Bills, but a macro perspective, now that they have that signature win on their belt, I'm having a hard time. Like You throw a team out there from the NFC or AFC, and I think I could argue that the Vikings are better than that team. Let's look at it from the NFC perspective first and foremost, because that's really what matters. Um, at this point, the Vikings are 8-1. and one. <clears throat> They are well in contention for that first round bye. I think people looked at the Philadelphia Eagles at 8-1 and one entering Monday night's game against the Washington Commanders as they're going to run away with the first round bye. They're 8-0. Could they run the table? You look at their schedule. It's so easy on paper. And then they go out and they lose at home to the Washington Commanders. They are 8-1 and one now. They have the tiebreaker over the Vikings because they kicked the crap out of them in week two on that Monday night affair. But when I watched those two teams, and I watched the Philadelphia game last night, and I obviously watched the Minnesota game on Sunday, it just shows what can happen on any given week in the NFL. Like wins are not guaranteed, no matter if it looks like that on paper. But I see a team in Minnesota who is going like this, who's climbing, who's still ascending. And while I don't want to say that the Philadelphia Eagles are declining, because I still think they have a lot of good football in them. I think when you have a game like you did on Monday night in prime time, where Jalen Hurts looks all out of sorts, looks kind of like how Kirk Cousins looked in Monday night on week in white in week two. I think you can kind of start to look at that team and like, okay, are there some cracks in the foundation that we aren't thinking about? The Philadelphia Eagles are still a good team. They're going to be right there near the top of the NFC for the rest of the season. But I look at that division and I've said this in the past, you got the Philadelphia Eagles. You've got the Dallas Cowboys. You've got the New York Giants. You've got, obviously, the Washington Commanders that just beat the Philadelphia Eagles in prime time. That division is going to continue to cannibalize itself. And I don't think any given week now we can say, oh, yeah, the Eagles, they're going to win that game. Um, they're the better team. I think we could say that heading into this week because they were 8-0, because every team that they had played, they had pretty much handled relatively with ease 
but then you drop a game to the Washington Commanders at home. I don't know if you can guarantee that the Philadelphia Eagles are just going to go into like East Rutherford, New Jersey, and beat the Giants in in a few weeks here. I don't know if you can say they're going to go into Dallas and, and into Arlington and and beat the Cowboys a couple weeks after that. You know, you look at some of these games now, like I, I just don't I, I don't know. And I think the Eagles' loss yesterday obviously opens the door for the Vikings to make a run. <clears throat> the same logic also applies to the Vikings, though, right? Just because it looks like this is a game they should win on paper does not mean they. you can just stamp it. It's a W. What the Eagles proved yesterday is that any team can lose to any team. We knew that. That's the NFL. So I, I don't want to say like, okay, well, the Eagles are going to get cannibalized by the rest of the NFC East and the Vikings are just going to run the table and run away with that first round bye. I'm just saying that there are there is an avenue now where we already know the Vikings are one of the best teams in the NFC. There is an avenue now where the Eagles fall off to a degree, the Vikings continue their winning ways, and they attain the first round bye. Just so huge in the NFL. Any time you don't have to play in the first week of the playoffs in a sport that is such a razor thin margin for wins and losses, that's huge. That is definitely the Vikings goal at this point. I can promise you that. That is a goal that is certainly attainable. I can promise you that as well with the way they have played this season. I still say think we are going to learn a lot about this team in the next two or three weeks. Um, it's what we said entering last week's game against the Bills. We said we're going to learn a lot about this team in that week against the Bills. We did. But we also said we're going to learn a lot about this team in the weeks that follow. Dallas at home on Sunday. Dallas is a good football team. Do not let that loss to the Green Bay Packers fool you. Dallas is a good football team. The Vikings are coming off an emotional win. It's cliche. But a lot of times after an emotional win, there is an emotional hangover. You don't come out sharp the next week. This is the next test for the Kevin O'Connell Vikings. Can they shake this win over the Bills? Can they rinse it? Can they celebrate it, rinse it, and then move on and be at their best on Sunday? If they can be, if you notch a win there, then you have the New England Patriots coming to town on Thanksgiving on four days rest. In primetime on Thanksgiving, New England Patriots – I don't think they're very good, but I still think Bill Belichick is, you know, the cliche, Bill Belichick makes you play left-handed. Bill Belichick is going to take away Justin Jefferson, I think, or do his best. More on Justin Jefferson in the next segment. And then you get the, you get the, after the Patriots on Thanksgiving, you get the Jets 10 days after that. That's not a, that's not a walk in the park game anymore. The Jets are second in the the AFC East right now. So I think in the next three weeks, and in the month collective, including the Bills game that w- over this past weekend, we're going to know so much about the Vikings. And if they come out of this, I don't know, they're eight and one now. If they're ten and two, if they go two and one over the next couple of we- next few weeks, I think they're still going to be in position in the NFC to get that first round bye. I think the Vikings, like I said on Sunday, have proven that they are a Super Bowl contender, have proven that they are one of the best teams in the NFL. I think Philadelphia's loss on Monday night is proof that the Vikings 
not only are among one of the best teams in the NFC, could be the best team in the NFC. Very, very interested to see how the Vikings respond on Sunday. We'll get into the, like, the nitty-gritty of that game in Thursday's episode. Um, thinking we might have someone from our brother podcast, um, the Cowboys podcast over at Odyssey, on to kind of break that one down. If we don't, we will have another Vikings writer, whoever that may be, to come and break down that game. Um, so we'll get more into the importance and what to expect in that game later this week. Um, but man, that's going to be a huge game. If the Vikings can come out of that one, nine and one entering into Thanksgiving, I, I think you're going to look at this team. There's already a ton of excitement about them. Um, but I think the national excitement about them is going to continue to grow with each passing win. Um, I think Kevin O'Connell made a really good point. The Vikings drop these locker room speeches after each win. <clears throat> And it's become kind of a thing, like a, almost appointment viewing television on Twitter that, at that. But almost appointment viewing after wins, you have to see what the Vikings tweet. You have to see the game-winning speech because Kevin O'Connell, he's so good at them. This past week, he said, we have just stamped ourselves as one of the best teams in the league. That's something no one can take away from us now. That is true. No one can take that away from the Vikings. Kevin O'Connell is right when he says that. He said, we have stamped ourselves as one of the best teams in the league, and now we need to go out and prove it every week. Also true. The target on the back grows with each passing win. They were 7-1 and one heading into the game against the Bills. People saying they, have, they don't have a signature win. This team is fraudulent. It's not real. Now they do have a win over the Bills in Buffalo. People are starting to say, oh, my God, this team might be for real. If you go home and you, if you at home beat Dallas on Sunday, the target's going to grow. It's going to grow with each passing week, each passing victory. But the good thing about this Vikings team that I've noticed so far, just being around the guys from training camp on, they don't read the headlines. There is just kind of an intestinal fortitude of belief inside that locker room with those 53 guys, plus the coaches, plus the practice squad. They've always believed they're Super Bowl contenders within that room. Uh, I think now nationally they're being viewed as Super Bowl contenders from an outsider's perspective. So, when we come back, we will talk about greatest catch of all time. I said it on Sunday. I still feel that two days later. Um, Justin Jefferson's grab on 4th and 18 Sunday in Buffalo was the greatest catch of all time. Uh, we will break down where it stands compared to some of the other greatest catches of all time. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, flying solo today. If you're liking what you're hearing, give us a follow. We drop episodes three times a week. We drop episodes right after the game on Sundays or Mondays, or I guess Thanksgiving will be on Thursdays. And then we drop episodes usually Tuesday, Thursday. That's the regular cadence. If you're liking what you're hearing, and if you can't get enough of this Vikings team, give us a follow, Inside Purple and Gold. We are anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Like I've been saying, if somehow you get your podcast on a different platform, let us know and we will get on that platform as well. There is no better time to follow 
the Vikings than right now when they are at eight and one, when they are, like we said, among the best teams in the NFL, perhaps the best team in the NFC. Um, Join us for the ride. It's certainly to the point where I didn't think we were going to be covering an eight and one football team, but here we are. I teased it heading into the break. Justin Jefferson's catch. I don't think we can overstate how impressive it was. I think every thing that has been written about it, every thing that's on any segment of television that where it's been talked about, oftentimes in this current landscape of media, we hear like very, very like hot takey, inflammatory, whatever, like this was the best thing that ever happened because it just happened. So whenever someone comes out and says, this was the best. I think there's like a, almost like a guarded nature to it of like, was it really the best? Or is, is this just like the day and age we live in where everything's the best? Cause it's new. No, Justin Jefferson's catch on Sunday was the greatest catch of all time. It was, it just was. I've watched that thing maybe 50 times now. I still don't know how he brought it in. I still don't know how with a person on his back, Justin Jefferson was able to throw one hand in the air, pluck that thing out of the sky, tuck his wrist under it while falling to the floor and somehow corral the ball without making, without it touching the ground. I have zero idea how it, it, I want to talk to like a physics professor because I don't understand how that is humanly possible for him to take a ball that is accelerating at the rate, which is, is stop it with his hand and then pluck it out of the air and somehow turn his body and contort it in a way where the ball doesn't touch the ground. It, it doesn't make sense. Like go try and do that in your backyard. You, you, you can't, you can't do that in your backyard by yourself with nobody on you. You could do it for the rest. Go do it after you listen to this podcast. It's snowing in Minnesota, so maybe you want to not do that because it's pretty gross outside. But if you go and try and make that catch without anyone on you, you can't. It's impossible. So the fact that he was able to do that with someone on him, mind you, 4th and 18, a gotta-have-it play, everything that goes into that catch kind of stacked on top of each other makes it the greatest catch of all time, but in a vacuum. It's also the greatest catch of all time. It's incredible. There, there's, there's nothing that can compare to that catch, in my opinion. And I have a couple of other catches that have been considered the greatest catches of all time that we will talk about. I'm going to rank them kind of five through one. Spoiler alert. Number one is the JJ catch from Sunday. Um, before I get into the rankings, though, I want to give a shout out to Kirk Cousins as well. If you know... Me, if you've listened to this podcast since training camp, you know I am a huge Kirk Cousins critic. You also know that I have been forced to eat my words over the past month as Kirk Cousins has ascended into the MVP discussion. Yes, I said it. He is an MVP candidate. He will not win the award, but he deserves to be in the conversation. I want to give a shout out to him for throwing that ball. It's 4th and 18. I get it. That ball has to go up. Um, Kevin O'Connell talked about it on Sunday. Like 
in the headset prior to that fourth and 18 call. He said, Hey Kirk, I don't really have a play here. You can't really scheme someone open fourth and 18. This is about a player. It's about a player more than it is about a scheme. Just give that player a chance. That player, obviously Justin Jefferson, the offensive line held up enough to give Kirk some time to throw and Kirk let that thing rip. It's an incredible catch, but it's also a very, very, very good throw. Every incredible catch has to have some sort of a good throw associated with it to at least give his guy a chance. I've seen Kirk in in some of these moments in the past. That's a dirt ball. That ball is 10 feet over Justin Jefferson's head. When Kirk had to make a throw to give his best player or the best player on, on the Vikings on the field that day a chance to make a play, Kirk made, I'll say, a perfect throw. Like, was it a perfect throw in the sense of, like, Justin didn't have to move and it hit him right there and it was right in stride? No, but it was perfect for that moment in time. It was perfect to allow Justin Jefferson a chance at a 50-50 ball. It was, we can say now, where right where it needed to be because Justin Jefferson came down with it. I don't want to speak in too much hyperbole here because the catch belonged to Justin Jefferson, and without him, it's not a catch. Without him, we're not talking about this. But I think we have to give credit where credit's due. Kirk threw the ball in a place where Justin had an opportunity to catch it. Without that throw, there is no catch. So he deserves credit there. But obviously, this this catch and in, in, in all of the ones belong to Justin Jefferson. Um, all the accolades, all the the talk, all the hype, it belongs to Justin Jefferson. Because, like I said, it was the greatest catch of all time. So, I've, like I said, I've ranked kind of the top five and. I know if you are listening to this, you're probably going to have a different opinion on what the five best catches were in NFL history. There's a lot of them. I get it. I'm sorry if I left yours off. I I left off the immaculate reception, which is going to like bother people, like because it like that's something I think a lot of old heads think about when they think greatest catch of all time. You think of the immaculate reception. You think of Franco Harris. I left it off because it it just was random. It, like, was it a good catch? Was it an awesome play that will forever live in NFL lore? Yes. But, like, was it that good of a catch? Or was it just an incredibly fortunate play? Like, yes, that Franco Harris was downfield enough to kind of pluck that ball off the ground before it touched the grass. Like, yeah, that was a great play. That was a great catch. Um, but the degree of difficulty of these other five, I think, are greater. Um, if you don't like it, like I said, if you're following us, tweet at me. You see my Twitter at the bottom, and let, let's have a discussion. If you if you really believe that the Immaculate Reception should be in this top five, let's have a discussion. Um, I'm more than open to it. At five, I have Dwight Clark's catch. 1981 NFC Championship game. Niners trailing late. Joe Montana throws that baby up into the end zone. The White Clark climbs a ladder. That ball must have been 11 feet in the air. I don't know. I'm sure someone's actually done like the physics and looking at the play and where 
he was when he ascended. But he climbed a ladder. He plucked that ball out of the heavens, and it was for the game-winning touchdown. That's something you see these iconic moments in the NFL. You think of Dwight Clark's catch in the back of the end zone. It helped kick off a dynasty. I think that's a catch where you look at it, you watch it back. He made it look effortless, so maybe it it's not one that totally stands out. But that was such an incredible catch. Climb the ladder on that thing. Um, that's number five in my book. Number four, Julian Edelman's catch in the Super Bowl. The Patriots trailing 28-3. to We all remember that against the Atlanta Falcons. And Julian Edelman's catch where it kind of pinballed around. Tom Brady threw that ball up. Just a hope and a prayer, really. I think it was Robert Alford was the the cornerback for for the Atlanta Falcons. He like tipped it in the air, and Julian Edelman dove to the ground. Julian Edelman, one of the best playoff performing wide receivers of our generation. He probably won't make the Hall of Fame, but if you just look at postseason statistics, he deserves to make the Hall of Fame his regular season numbers probably aren't good enough for him to get in the hall of fame. However, if Julian Edelman got in the hall of fame, I would argue you 0% because for like the second half of that dynastic run for the new England Patriots, Julian Edelman was the guy. He always rose to the occasion in big moments and his catch where he kind of contorts his body goes and attacks that tipped ball by Robert Alford and somehow comes up with it without, letting the ball touch the ground, just the concentration that it takes to do that. That's four in my book. So we have Dwight Smith or Dwight Clark. I'm sorry. Five Julian Edelman, four. See, I have Santonio Holmes's catch in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals at three. I think some people forget about that catch and just how impossible it was in the back of the end zone. And how good of a throw it was by Ben Roethlisberger as well. It's it's kind of like when I talk about the Justin Jefferson catch and I have to give Kirk Cousins some credit for getting the ball there in a position to make let his guy make a play. Ben Roethlisberger, late in that Super Bowl, let Santonio Holmes make a play with that throw. But the catch was absolutely ridiculous. It was just gross how Santonio Holmes was able to climb that ladder in the corner of the end zone and somehow get his toes down. All of that without going out of bounds in a gotta have it moment in the Super Bowl. It, that's three in my book because of the degree of difficulty that came with that catch, but also just like the moment. It was in the Super Bowl. It was a play that the, the Steelers absolutely needed to have, and San Antonio Holmes came up with it. They won the Super Bowl. Game over. That's number three. Number two, you probably know, it, it's the Odell Beckham catch. It's it's a ridiculous catch that I, I don't think, I didn't think could possibly be topped. Just reaching behind your head while running full speed in one direction, somehow stopping on a dime, reaching behind your, your head and, just throwing that arm up and catching it and landing it in bounds. There's not really much that needs to be talked about on that Odell Beckham catch because 
everyone knows that catch. Everyone can reference it in their mental, right? If you just say Odell, you think of that catch. That's number two. I did not think it was ever going to be topped, but it was topped on Sunday by Justin Jefferson, who basically made the same catch that Odell made. He just did it with a person on his back. I, I think you look at it like that. Number two, Odell Beckham. I'm realizing now that I screwed up my rankings <laughs> and I left off the helmet catch. I got to bump everything down. I'm sorry, Dwight Clark. You have to now be six. Julian Edelman, you have to now be five. Santonio Holmes, you have to now be three. Odell Be- or four. Odell Beckham, you have to be three. David Tyree's helmet catch in the Super Bowl. That's number two. I gave you a top six. I screwed up. I wrote my top five before the Justin Jefferson catch. The David Tyree catch in the Super Bowl is number two. Uh, everyone remembers the helmet catch. It beat the undefeated Patriots. That catch with where it kind of ranked at the time was an impossible catch in and of itself, how he pinned it to his helmet in a gotta have it moment in the closing minutes to beat the undefeated Patriots team that looked like it was impossible to lose. David Tyree comes up with this incredible grab over Rodney Harrison while he's falling to the ground. Eli Manning gives him a chance. I think the the, the Giants were down 14 to 10 at that point, and they end up winning the game. That's number two. <laughs> Screwed up the rankings. That's okay. I gave you a top six. So let's go in order. One is Justin Jefferson. Two is David Tyree. Three is Odell Beckham. Four, Santonio Holmes. Five, Julian Edelman. I'm sorry, Dwight Clark. You are now bumped down to six because I cannot count. All of those things... Aside, it just shows how many great catches there have been in NFL history, and I know I've missed a ton. I know there are some out there that people are going to say, well, you forgot about this one. You forgot about that one. It doesn't matter. It wasn't better than the catch that Justin Jefferson made on Sunday. That was a catch that we will remember for the rest of our lives. That is a catch that they will show on highlight reels. For the rest of our lives, for the rest of our children's lives, for the rest of our grandchildren's lives. I don't know how you could physically, humanly possible, make a better catch than Justin Jefferson did on Sunday. That is number one in my book. Again, can't count. Gave you a top six, but Justin Jefferson is atop that list. He's number one. When we come back, we'll do a quick accolades of... You know, guys who kind of stepped up Sunday for the Vikings that deserve a little bit of credit that we just did not talk about enough on Sunday. Um, There were a ton of great plays in that game, but there were a ton of people, I think, that because of those great plays, they got overshadowed. Um, They deserve a little bit of shine. More on that when we come back. Hello, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani. If you're listening, if you've gotten to the 30-minute mark of this podcast, give us a follow, Inside Purple and Gold. We're anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. 
if you're liking what you're hearing, give us a follow, give us a rating, give us a review. All of that helps us. All of that helps us continue to pump out podcasts for you three times a week. To kind of close here, we'll keep it a little bit short. I wanted to give credit where credit's due to some players on the Vikings that maybe we weren't talking about Sunday, that maybe kind of flew under the radar because Justin Jefferson made such an incredible catch, because Kirk Cousins played his best game, his latest best game when it mattered most. Uh, Because all of these things, Patrick Peterson, two interceptions, including a walk-off. To Daniel Hunter kind of rising from the dead and, and continuing his ascension. I think all of these things probably take away from some of these players that I don't think we're talking enough about. And one of them is going to sound weird because it was a huge play in the game, but I think it got overshadowed. Like when you look at this game, I don't think you think about Dalvin Cook's 81-yard touchdown run. That touchdown run, while it wasn't the biggest play in the game because there were just like 100 big plays after that, I think it's something that goes and flies under the radar because you don't think about it right away. But that 81-yard touchdown run took it from a 17-point game to a 10-point game. One play pop that the Vikings needed desperately. The offense couldn't do anything. And Dalvin Cook rattles off this run 81 yards down the left sideline. Our producer, Spencer, is making a really good point. Like, we want to talk about J.J.'s catch. J.J.'s block on that run, just disgusting. It's something where he comes up, hits that safety at the second level, turns his body, does it in such a a well-executed manner that his block essentially opens up a lane for Dalvin without Dalvin having to like really cut off of it. Dalvin set the block up, but the the angle with that Justin Jefferson took to that block allowed after Dalvin Cook set that that ball or set that block up. Dalvin Cook just cut off Justin Jefferson's hip. Justin Jefferson had turned his guy enough at that point with a well-executed block to allow Dalvin Cook to kind of turn the corner. He's off to the races. And then Justin Jefferson finishes it off pretty violently with a shove. Just a violent shove that you see out of offensive linemen. You see it out of a guy like Christian Dersaw. You see it out of a guy like Brian O'Neill, Ezra Cleveland, um, Ed Ingram. Sometimes he struggled. Um, Garrett Bradbury. You, you see these offensive linemen finish these blocks with some aggression. Justin Jefferson finished the block with aggression. Pancaked his guy. Dalvin Cook is off to the races. That was one guy that came to mind when I thought Unsung Heroes, Dalvin Cook. Um, He was awesome in this game. He was tremendous. He's someone we weren't really talking about post-game because his biggest play came too early in the comeback. But the importance of that 81-yard run cannot be overstated. Wanted to make sure we gave Dalvin Cook some shine. Another guy, Blake Brandle. I don't know if many people know who Blake Brandall is, but he played 39 offensive snaps on Sunday, basically half the game filling in for Christian Darisaw, who is still in concussion protocol per Kevin O'Connell. 
Not sure if Christian Darisol is going to play on Sunday against the Cowboys. We'll need to continue to follow that. Obviously, the NFL has tried to do a better job spotting concussions, taking care of their players, all in the wake of what happened to Tua, um, I think week three or four. So will Christian Darisol play this Sunday? I don't know. Will that be a big loss for the Vikings if he does? Absolutely. But Blake Brandel played 39 snaps, 47% of the offensive snaps on Sunday, and he was pretty damn good. That's a tough position to put a guy in to in any game, just in a pass-happy, we're-trailing, we're-going-to-throw-the-hell-out-of-the-ball. We need you to hold up your blocks. By the way, Von Miller is going to sometimes come rotate to your side. Von Miller spent most of his day rushing Brian O'Neill on the right, um, but there were times where the Buffalo Bills tried to take advantage of Blake Brandel, his inexperience, um, and he was able to kind of hold up. I think he deserves a ton of credit. Don't think he's someone we're really going to talk about too much at length. Um, perhaps we will be talking about him as this week comes down the shoot because Christian Derrissaw is still in concussion protocol. But Blake Brandel was very, very good on Sunday. He deserves credit for that. Last guy I want to shout out, Duke Shelley. If you don't know who Blake Brandel is, you sure as hell don't know who Duke Shelley is. But Duke Shelley was a practice squad cornerback who has just basically been scrapping and staying, doing everything in his power to stay on the team, to stay on the practice squad. Um, that thing turns over with regularity in the NFL. But Duke Shelley has proven to be someone that the Vikings not only want to keep around, but trust enough to elevate in this game, largely because Cam Dancer is out. But not only did Duke Shelley get elevated in this game, played a special teams role, he played three snaps of defense. That's it. Three snaps of defense. Was in the game because Andrew Booth was struggling. And to cut Andrew Booth some slack, like how we said Blake Brando was put in a, in a tough situation at left tackle. Andrew Booth, when a Caleb Evans goes down, midway through the game with a concussion as well. Caleb Evans, cornerback for the Vikings, is also in concussion protocol. Second-round pick Andrew Booth gets thrust into that spotlight. And you have to go up against Stephon Diggs. You have to go up against Gabe Davis. You have to go up against Josh Allen throwing them the ball. It's not an easy place to be in and succeed right away when that's really Andrew Booth's first like meaningful snaps of defense in his career. So... He played 37 snaps. I want to give him a little bit of a break for his struggles, but he was not very good in those 37 snaps. In fact, his struggles thrust a guy like Duke Shelley into a big moment in overtime. And Duke Shelley, on the penultimate play of the game, Josh Allen throws a jump ball to his massive tight end Dawson Knox in the end zone. Dawson Knox is bigger than Duke Shelley. Dawson Knox is an experienced NFL player. Duke Shelley is not. Yet Duke Shelley is able to break up that pass, chop down on the arms, be in, in good enough position on Dawson Knox to garner that PBU at such a big moment in time. That play gets a little bit overshadowed because on the very next play, Patrick Peterson intercepts Josh Allen, slides into the turf, and the game is over. But Duke Shelley is someone who deserves some shine and – on the Inside Purple and Gold podcast, we are going to give him some shine. Duke Shelley, three snaps in total, 
one huge pass breakup. All right. Everyone all good? Everyone good talking about that Sunday game? We could probably talk about it for the rest of our lives. We probably will. You probably will in, in your inner circles. But as a podcast, we're moving on. We're moving on to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. We will come back on Thursday morning, break down that game, what to expect, all of those good things. If you're not following us, make sure you drop us a follow on Apple, on Spotify, on Google. Um, So you can hear that episode as soon as it comes out. Um, We'll be back Thursday morning. Until then, have a great rest of the week. I'm Dane Mizutani for Inside Purple and Gold, signing off. Twenty four hundred sports is an Odyssey company.